work our way through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Luke chapter 20. We're not sure how far we're going to get today, but we might get as far as paying some taxes to Caesar, your favorite topic. Luke 20, verse 1. Now it happened on one of those days that as he taught the people in the temple and he preached the good news that the chief priests, the scribes, together with the elders, this would be all the religious leaders, confronted him. And they spoke to him saying, tell us by what authority are you doing these things? Or who has given you your power and your authority? And he answered, Unto them, and he said, I also will ask you one thing and answer me. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? <laughs> well, they reason amongst themselves and saying, If from heaven, he will say, Why did you not believe him? But if we say from men, all people will stone us, for they are persuaded that John was a prophet. And so they answered and said that they did not know where. It was from. <laughs> and Jesus said unto them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day, Lord, to be gathered together as the body of Christ. Lord, to encourage one another in the days in which we live in. Lord, we ask that you just touch our hearts, that we would see what you would have for us. And Father, that we would not be like these religious leaders, to grow hard and think, Lord, that by our good deeds, you will be well pleased. And so, Lord, thank you for those serving and those watching us on the internet and over the radio. In Jesus' name, amen. Where are we in the week? Um, we talked about this last week, and we're going to put that image back up to show you in a timeline of where we are. Remember on Sunday, we, uh, last week we saw Jesus coming in, um, his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and then we saw the cleansing on Monday. Well, this is where we are now. It's Tuesday on the, on the week of that, uh, the, uh, Jesus last week. And so, uh, verse 1, Now it happened on one of those days that he taught the people in the temple and preached the gospel that the chief priests and the scribes together with the elders confronted him. Now, how many of you, and this may be something that you don't want to admit in public, you can take that off. Uh, how many of you like uh, the, the, the wrestling on TV? Okay, Lori is the only honest person. There are other of you closet wrestler fans out there. Well, as I was thinking of this, I thought, you remember when he says, uh, let's get ready to rumble. That's what this, I was, I was going to put the video on and then I thought, that's a little too cheesy, even for me. <laughs> but that's what it's about. This is the time in which they think that they are the strongest wrestler and then you have this little guy that comes on, you're like, he'll never beat him. And what happens? That little guy, be, well, it's all staged and fake anyway. I didn't mean to burst your bubble there. But that's where we are. 
Jesus now is in the temple. He's preaching. He's there. He's not hiding. He came in to show himself because by the law, it said that the lamb must be inspected by the religious leaders before it was uh, given on the altar. And that is what Jesus is doing. You ever ask yourself, why did Jesus come in in the first place? Why is he in the temple? I mean, he's there. It's, he's easy picking. Well, the law said that you must examine the lamb for spot and blemish. And what Jesus is doing is showing himself to the religious leaders that he is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But in the midst of that week, he is going to battle them. He's going to put them in a Holy Spirit chokehold, and they will not get out of that. And we're going to see that they are going to challenge him one after another, and Jesus will debate with them as well. So now what happened on one of those days, notice as he taught the people in the temple, and he preached the good news or the gospel, that the chief priests, the scribes, together with the elders, confronted him. And so notice this, the master teacher tirelessly proclaiming the good news in the shadow of the temple, there he is, and the leaders of Israel are challenging him, as we will see, see on his right to teach. They're going to say, how do you, or what do you, or what degree do you have? What is your authority in doing this? Now, Jesus had already told the 12 to expect conflict and suffering. Remember, as they were coming, he says, I'm about to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to have many conflicts, and they're going to lift up the Son of Man, and they're going to kill him. So he was already prepared for that. Don't you know Jesus never gets caught uh, off guard by COVID or anything else or by election? Listen, God is still on the throne. That is the great thing about coming to church, amen? No matter what goes on on the crazy out there, we know we can come in here and God has already spoke it into existence. We know the end, we know who wins, and it is God. And in this scene, that plays it out so well for us. Because if you're his 12, and you're seeing this onslaught from the religious leaders who are supposed to be the protectors of Judaism, you could be quite dismayed, could you not? Well, Jesus isn't caught off guard. And I love what Jesus does here is because he is loving, don't we know that? Then and now, and he was still at that moment trying to sway them or bring them back to a place that they would accept their anointed one, their Messiah. In this chapter, you will meet three groups of religious leaders as we go through here. And I want you to see this conflict that they have with Jesus. They challenge him because he had previous chapter cleansed the temple and called them thieves. Remember that? Woo, no one called them anything. And he called them thieves, a den of thieves. They try to catch him in his own words and they try to trip him up all through this chapter, but he is God and you cannot do that. Man has been trying to trip up God ever since. 
The devil has been trying to do that. The enemy, any possible attempt to get rid of God in the Bible. I'm telling you, this wave is coming. You can see it in New York, shutting down the synagogues. And thank God that the Supreme Court came up and said that Cuomo, the governor there, had overreached his authority. He dismissed that outright. Did you hear that? Like he didn't care what the Supreme Court said. That's going to continue. They're going to continue to be lawless. Remember when Jesus said, and this is just a side note, so give me about two seconds to run with this, or about 20. (laughs) Remember Jesus said, in the days of Lot and Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man be? Well, in the days of Noah, it said that it was a lawless, the law says. I feel like that's exactly what we're living in. You have states, you have governors who don't even care about the law. I can't remember what governor, but right in the middle of the the COVID pandemic, or as people like to say, say, scandemic, you'll get that on the way home, that this governor was, I think it was Jersey, um, who said, this reporter was asking him about, you know, what he was bringing out as mandates or dictates or, and the reporter said, well, don't you care about the First Amendment? He goes, no. See, we're in a lawless period. So, too, will be the coming of the Son of Man be. What does that have to do with today? Nothing that was free. And so we have this wave of religious leaders now, verse 1, confronting God. (laughs) Go ahead. Let's get ready to rumble. And notice they spoke to him saying, tell us by what authority are you doing these things? Or who is it that gave you this authority? Now, authority is important for the success of any social, political, or religious organization. Without authority, you have confusion. Would we not agree? There must be an authority. We have a nation that is based on law and order, on authority. And that authority is derived by the people, not by the government. We have a, a document. It's called the Constitution. Well, authority is important. The chief priests claimed their authority from Moses and the law. And the Levites had their authority from the tribe of uh, uh, Moses and Aaron. And the scribes had their authority by the law that they, they studied the law and they wrote it out. And they were meticulous in it. And that was their authority. The religious leaders and the elders, as we saw here, had their authority because of the families in which they came from. They all had authority. But all of these men now wanted to know who and why Jesus did what he did when he cleared out the temple the day before. Who gives you the authority to do that? They wanted to know, where is your degree, Jesus? Remember, Jesus must have just annoyed the heck out of these guys because he was just a carpenter from from the Galilee. He had not gone to Hebrew U. He didn't get a degree in theology from Moses University. 
He didn't have some special degree hanging up on his wall or he wasn't a card-carrying member of the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the scribes. Man, it bugged them. And it still bugs people today. If you don't have a degree, somehow you're not smart enough to do what you're doing. How many of you have ever come across that before? In what I have been doing for, I don't know, over 25 years now, people have asked me through the years, where did you get your degree? Like the degree means something. It means that I have studied under somebody or I've, I'm officially have the knowledge that I can minister to you because I've got this paper. And I tell people all the time, I've got a degree from Peter, James, and John. These men, the Bible said, turned the world upside down. They didn't know anything. All they knew is that they had walked with Jesus for three and a half years. And they were just hick fishermen from the Galilee. And they changed the world. Now, am I saying that education is wrong? Yes. No. (laughs) I think we need to be careful. I think the Bible says it very well, that knowledge does what? It puffs up. I think we live in a time where we have too much knowledge. We have too much information. We have very little wisdom. And the Bible says wisdom. It said get wisdom. It doesn't say get knowledge. It says get wisdom. That's how I apply the knowledge. And so they wanted to know by what authority, Jesus, show us your degree. Because they all had pedigree. Everybody got that? You got a dog. You got dog papers. This dog is officially that pedigree, right? It's officially been uh, raised in, you know, whatever, I don't know. I have no idea what I'm talking about, dogs. But I just know that word pedigree, it is probably a dog food. But it's important. If if you got those papers, you can say, look, this is an official dog. Well, it's a dog. But this is an official dog, right? People spend a lot of money to get that paper. This is an official dog. Well, the religious leaders all had their lines. They all had their pedigree. They all had their degrees. And here is a guy who has nothing and shows them up every single time they debate. And it is getting on their nerves, is it not? It's just simple. Simple in a way that's not dumb, like we used to say, oh, that guy is just simple. No, simple in a way that he just relied upon the Holy Spirit because he was God. Well, Aren't you ready to rumble with the religious leaders? And, oh, I want to watch this whole week on the jumble screen in heaven. And so they ask him. And he answered and said to them, well, I will ask you one thing and you answer me. Jesus always does this. Every time they ask him a question, he asks a question back. Now, you might think to yourself, because we're in a Western world, Western way of thinking, that that's kind of rude, isn't it? That's how the Jews debated each other. This is normal operating practice. So they're not, well, they're not bummed out that he won't ask them. This is normal. Okay, I'm going to ask your question, but I'm going to answer your question, but I'm going to ask you another question. And so notice Jesus' question. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? 
Now, Jesus takes them back to John the Baptist for two important reasons. Please take note of these reasons. Number one, John had pointed to Jesus and introduced him to the Jewish nation as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So the rejection of John was actually a rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. John was pretty vocal in who Jesus was. So by denying John and that first principle, they were denying who Jesus was. Wasn't that simple of Jesus? Let me take you to John. Now, the second is a spiritual principle that if we disobey truth we already know, well, then God cannot reveal new truth to us. And that's in John 7. You can read that. So why answer their question when they had refused to submit to John's message? Jesus is very plain. Why would I answer you when you've already rejected the messenger, John the Baptist? You've rejected him outright. Therefore, you have rejected me. So why would I continue this verbal judo with you? You ever meet any people like that? where they won't admit the first principle, so why keep going? Amen? Use Jesus, I know this is shocking, (laughs) in your debating tools. Why go any further if they cannot admit that? Um, (laughs) I was doing a little research this morning, and uh, did you know, you'll love this, you know, for our global warming people, that during the pandemic, when air travel has basically come to a halt and driving for the most part has come to, the, come to a halt, that CO2 levels is still going up. Wait a minute. I thought that was man-based. I thought planes were the big meanies. I thought driving cars were bad. And it turns out that the planet is going to do what the planet is going to do. Why is it doing that? I don't know, but it has nothing to do with us. Free, take that home. You'll use that in your debating of your global warming people. So the first principle, John showed them Jesus. Second, if you're going to deny the first, then why would Jesus go to the second? Now it was the religious leaders who were in the dilemma. Don't you love how he puts them back into that? No matter what answer they gave, they were in trouble. And so they decided to do what most people do, is they just go silent. Well, I don't know. Well, by saying you don't know, you're actually saying you know. It's like people who don't vote. Well, actually, you are voting by not voting. Even if Jesus had given them an answer, guys, their heart was not prepared to receive. It's like when people ask you questions, but you can perceive that no matter what you say to them, it's not going to change their heart. Well, why would you want to go down that path over and over and over again? And Jesus knew that. If they had disobeyed God's message given to John the Baptist, what makes you think that they're going to listen to him? Don't you love that? How simple Jesus makes it. If you're not going to listen to John, why would you listen to me? By replying with a question, 
Again, Jesus wasn't evading the question. Instead, he was trying to show their hypocrisy in what they were doing. And that is going to lead us into the parable that Jesus will give. Well, let's get to verse 5. Now, they reason amongst themselves. That, that would mean they had a huddle. And by the way, how does Jesus know? Yes, how does Jesus know and Luke what they were talking about if Jesus doesn't know everything about what's coming in their mind or they're talking? Don't you love that? So Luke knows this because at some point Jesus told somebody, let me tell you what they were talking about. And so they reason amongst themselves saying, well, if we say from heaven, he will say, well, why did you not believe him? And if we say from men, all the people will stone us for they are persuaded that John was a prophet. Isn't it sad here? Uh, and nothing new under the sun. The, the, these political religious leaders were motivated more by the fear of men than by the truth of God. Rather than submitting to Jesus Christ at this moment and saying, yes, you are Messiah, they wanted to hold on to their power no matter what. And so they answered and said, well, we don't know <laughs> where it was from. And don't you want to see the camera angle on their faces when Jesus says, well, guys, neither will I tell you where I get my authority. Shuts them down. But it doesn't end there because Jesus is always giving us a teachable moment. And he's got the throngs of people in the temple and remember, he was teaching and preaching the good news there in the temple. And so he breaks into a parable that is by far the best parable to describe the religious leaders and those who are hard-hearted against God. And as he began to tell these people a parable about a certain man planted a vineyard and leased it to the vine dressers and went away into a far country for a long time. Please keep your place here, and let's turn over to Isaiah chapter 5. And you can write that in your Bible next to this section. Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. Now let me sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved, regarding his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. And he dug it up and he cleared out its stones and he planted it with the choicest vine. And he built a tower in the midst of it and he made a wine press. And so he expected it to bring forth good grapes. The vineyard is, they know that the vineyard is Israel. But note with me at the end of verse 2 that he expected it to bring forth, notice, good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O oh, inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, please, between me and my vineyard. What more could I have done, my vineyard, that I have not done in it? Why then, when I expected to bring forth good grapes, did you bring forth wild grapes? And now please let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge or protection, and it shall be burned and break down its wall, and it shall be trampled upon. 
and I will lay it waste, and it shall not be pruned or dug, but there shall come up briars and thorns. And I will also command the clouds that no rain fall upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord, please note with me, is the host of the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are his pleasant plant. He looked for justice, but behold, oppression. For righteousness, but behold, a cry for help. Turn back now to Luke. Chapter 20, verse 9. Psalm 80, verse 8 says, You have brought up a vine out of Egypt, and you have cast out the nations and planted it. It was very clear who the vineyard was about. The vineyard was about Israel. And note with me, a certain man planted a vineyard. That's the father, planted a vineyard and leased it to the vine dressers. This was very common in the day of Israel, very common. You would have a landowner, and he didn't want to go out and farm, so he would hire hands to take care of it. But he expected his cut from the land. And so he went away into a far country. Please note with me, for how long? A long time. Now at the vintage time, or the time of preparation, all of this is fulfilled in Jesus. For the preparation time, he sent a servant to the vine dressers that they might give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the vine dressers beat him and sent him away empty-handed. So the vine dressers are the religious leaders. And the servants are the prophets, be it Isaiah or Jeremiah, or you name a host of prophets that got even John the Baptist to get their attention, to bring some of it. Remember, the whole reason why God planted Israel is so that they would be a voice and a message of hope to the world. But they didn't do that. And so, listen, if you send a servant and the first servant gets beat up, who thinks they're going to send another servant? I think I would destroy them right then. Amen? Anybody else? Oh, I'm the only one. Thank you, honey. No, but notice the loving kindness of God. What does he do? Time after time after time, God brings hope to people. They reject it. He tries, he tries, he tries, he tries to get people's heart. He turns that radio station on for you as you're driving. He does this, this, this. So he sent another servant, verse 11, and they beat him also. Notice, and they treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And again, he sent a third, and they wounded him, and they cast him out. In verse 13, then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? How about I send my only beloved son? Probably they will respect him when they see him. But when the vine dressers saw him, they reasoned amongst themselves, saying, this is the heir. Come. Let us kill him, that the inheritance may be ours. Guys, Jesus is speaking this. You get this? It's red letters. How hard is this for Jesus to say? 
knowing exactly this is what they're about to do to him in a couple of days? Do you think of it like that? How many of you would stand there and teach a group of people in the love of God, knowing that they're about to kill you? It's pretty, pretty heavy, isn't it? I encourage you, uh, Christmas time is coming, and uh, you're always trying to figure out what's, what's a good gift to give somebody. Well, why not a book from the 1500s? We have Fox's Book of Martyrs, or you can get it on Amazon or somewhere. It is a great book of encouragement because so many, so many of these men and women who went to their death were proclaiming love and the good news to their captors who were about to put them to the stake and burn them alive. That only happens when we have Jesus Christ in our life. And when we have Jesus as the example, I, I just want you to think about that. Jesus is talking about this parable knowing everything that, it, that he is saying is about to come true, let alone what they will say next. Surely they won't kill the, vine, uh, the vineyard owner's son. Verse 16 says, now what will he do? He will come and destroy those vine dressers and give the vineyard to another. And when they heard this, they said, certainly not. Now, Matthew also talks about this, and he talks about how they were enraged when they heard this parable, and they said, well, then they must be killed. And Jesus says, out of your very mouth. It's funny, the outrage of people, isn't it, until they find out it's them. Our sins always look worse on other people. Note with me in verse 16, what Jesus says is about to happen, that the vineyard will be given to others. Who are the others? That's us, Gentiles. God will redeal with the nation of Israel, and that's very important. We are pro-Israel. We are pro-Jewish nation. But right now, God is dealing with us, the Gentiles. And when we're done, when he's done, the age of grace, we will be taken out of the way, and God will redeal with the nation of Israel. And so when he does this, he takes them back to the Bible, which you love to do with religious people because they should know it. Amen? And so he looked at them and he said, what then is that that is written, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? For whoever falls on that stone will be broken, but on Whoever it falls, it will grind him to powder. Jesus instructs them from Hosanna, Psalm 118, verses 22 through 28. Let me read it to you. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And this was the Lord's doing in their marvelous eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. By the way, the Lord won't return until the Jewish nation says that again. It says, we have blessed you from the house of the Lord. God is the Lord and he has given us light. Bind their sacrifices with cords to the altar. 
You are my God and I will praise you. You are my God and I will extol you. Jesus is teaching them from that psalm. And it says that the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And then he says in verse 18, whoever falls on that stone or whoever stumbles upon the stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. Now the Bible uh, in multiple places as well as Corinthians chapter 10 puts Jesus as the stone in the wilderness when the rock is struck by Moses. Uh, uh, Paul in Corinthians by the Spirit says that was Jesus. The rock is Jesus. So the two comings of Christ are indicated in this verse 18. The first time Jesus is depicted as the stone on the ground in which men and women stumble. Paul said, I preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block, to the Greeks foolishness. Jesus was a stumbling block to the Jews. They just didn't get it. Those men and women who stumble at his humiliation and lowliness. Again, the Jews couldn't understand why they're anointed. The Messiah would need to be on a cross, be naked and shamed and spat upon by the very enemies they thought the Messiah was going to kick out. You ever look at something and it doesn't compute? Kind of like the election. And it, go, it, 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 it like the, the computer breaks down and it goes to the blue screen of death. <laughs> That's where they are. They can't reconcile these things because they already have in their mind what Messiah is. So it's not, you're, they're putting in wrong data to begin with. So therefore, they can't listen because he doesn't have a sword and a shield. So many people want God to be something that he is not for them. And they stumble on the humiliation and the lowliness. And then they notice will be the second group is the coming of Jesus the second time or it will grind them into powder whom the stone falls upon. And so you can either be broken today, stumble, fall over Jesus, however you get into the kingdom of God, humble yourself that he is Lord, or the second time he comes, he will fall on you and grind you into powder. Let me just, this will be free. You want the first one. (laughs) By the way, don't you love our our reading today, you don't ever want to hear about God's hot displeasure on you. Well, so too, you don't want the stone, which was not cut by man's hands, to fall upon you. Amen? All right, I know that you were thinking, well, are we going to get into paying taxes? Yes, we will. Verse 19. And the chief priests and the scribes that very hour sought to lay hands on him. They were kind of mad, don't you think? But they feared the people, for they knew that he had spoken this parable against them. <laughs> oh, I love that. Don't, don't be convicted by the parable. Just want to kill somebody by it. Doesn't that make sense? 
when you talk to people about Jesus? When you share with them the good news and then now they want to hunt you down and (laughs) kill you because of that? They will unfriend you. They will do whatever, shame you on social media. They'll do whatever, but they won't ever be convicted by it. You know, guys, not to go down this path, but we, we used to live in a nation where we could have a civil discord about differing ideas and actually want to listen to the other side. By the way, I regularly do that. I, for your sake, I listen to the other side, whacked as it is, so I know where they're coming from. And the last couple of weeks, uh, and again, uh, just where we are in the election and just craziness of that, do you know that in different parts of the country, depending on where you live, if you Google something in the search bar, it will come up different depending on where you live. Do you know that? Many people don't know that. And um, a report came out just recently from the exit polls, and I thought this was amazing. If you hadn't heard this, it's very shocking, or it's not shocking. 40% didn't know that because it's tailored for them. They don't know. And so you and I, when we're talking to the people about Jesus or some other topic, and they, they don't know about that, don't get mad at them. Because wherever they live or whatever they Googled or whatever they watched is tailored for them specifically, which means they will never, almost never hear the other side. Is that shocking to you? That's why it's important for us to continue to bring that message to them. So when you get to a verse like this and they want to kill somebody and then when you're sharing with somebody and they want to hate you or defriend you or whatever, you don't don't retaliate. Love them and think, man, they just don't know. I have to help them. I have to help them understand what's going on to the best of your ability. Amen? Because we just don't want people to try to plot and kill us. But notice, I think it's very revealing, verse 19, they, they knew that that parable was about them. And so they watched him, verse 20, and sent spies <laughs> who pretended to be righteous. I know that's shocking that there is deception in the, lead, in the leader class of people the upper echelon. I know it's shocking to think that there are people up there that would try to deceive the masses. Never happened here. They pretended to be righteous. By By the way, I love how Luke says that because the other gospels don't say that. Luke says that. They pretended to be righteous. That they might seize on his words or the idea is to catch him in order to deliver him to the power and the authorities of the governor. And so they asked him and said, teacher, and this is why you know that they're pretending. We know that you say and teach rightly. Pause. Then why don't you listen? And you do not show personal favoritism, but teach the way of God in truth. Oh, they're buttering him up. Red flag should be flying. Every time, and not every time, but most of the time when I hear that, Uh, directed towards me, I'm like, what's going on? 
What are they, what's their motive behind? Isn't that sad that we live in that world that we have to, it is what it is. And here's the question. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar, to the government, or not? Now, that, was, that is the question. Would you, would you note with me first that they only have two answers? Did you see that? Either pay or not. That's two. But in God's economy, there's always something else. What With man, it's often just one or the other. It's either right or is it wrong. Now, God's the way that is similar in that way as well. But God has a different answer here. He has both is right. How can both be right? Now, again, I don't want to take us too far down this road, but that's our Western mind coming up again where we can't have the same two, two right answers. We have a non-contradictory mind in the Western world of education. There must be only one right answer. But to the Jew, there could be two right answers. To our mind, how we're raised, we don't think of that. When you're looking at math, there's one right answer, right? Well, maybe there's another right answer, but a way to get to that answer. And so to the Jewish mind, there is two possible right answers answers and that's exactly what Jesus does because he knows that he, uh, they are trying to trick him if Jesus said no then they would accuse him of treason and immediately turned him over to the Romans don't you believe that and if he said yes then he would alienate the Herodians a great mass of Jews in which hated and I know this is shocking hated to pay taxes the Romans could not stand paying taxes to Caesar. Why? Because the coin in which you had to pay your taxes, as we'll see in a minute, had the image of Caesar. Pax Romana, all the world Roman. And they looked at that coin as a graven image because it had the image of Caesar on it. And they didn't want to have anything to do with that. Well, verse 23, you know it didn't take long, but he perceived their craftiness. That's Jesus. He knew what they were doing. Oh, that must stink for everybody. God knows what they are doing. By the way, it's a great prayer to have right now that the Bible uh, tells us that God does not like unjust weights and balances and continue to pray that God would reveal that which is hidden behind everything that it would be brought to the light. God doesn't like cheating. He doesn't like unfair balances. Lord, would you just bring to light all that man is trying to hide and bring it into the light? And so to hear, he knows their craftiness, and he said unto them, why are you guys testing me? <laughs> he said, show me a denarii or a coin. Whose image and the inscription does it have? And they answered and said, it's Caesar's. And so he said unto them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God. So in that one verse, Jesus silences them. They were seemingly so concerned about Caesar's interests that they were not so concerned about the things of God. 
And even today inside of the church, there is people who say we shouldn't pay taxes, it's illegal, it's this or that. Listen, we're focusing on the wrong thing. Whose image are you created in? God's. So you belong to God. And then we have to live in this world. In the United States of America, we have roads, although not great, but we have them. And we pay a tax on our car, and that's supposed to fix those roads and bridges. And we, we pay income tax so that people in Washington can become millionaires. I mean, pay for military, right? And dams and power and water and all of those things that we enjoy. If you don't believe that, go be, buy a piece of property and try to do it all yourself. It's nice to be able to turn on that spigot, isn't it? To get hot water out. It's a joy. Isn't it nice to go to Walmart and see half the shells bare? Well, it used to be they were full. It was nice to be able to go in there and buy food. Well, all of that is part of our taxes as well. (laughs) But we want to focus on that. We rarely focus on whose image we are made in. And so Jesus disarms them with one statement, whatever the government requires, do that. But whatever is God's, well, then you give to God, which means our whole heart, mind, and soul. Now, in the midst of this time in which we are living in, where Caesar says that you shall not meet together in a church or sing because of a so-called flu virus, what should we do then? Well, the most important thing is, then what does the Bible say? The Bible says that we should not forsake the assembly of the body of Christ. So, therefore, we, we hold to what God says. And if that means that we go to jail, well, then we go to jail. If that means at some point, like over the last 2,000 years, believers have lost their head or been burned to the stake, well, why why do we think in 2020 we are somehow somewhat special as believers? There is no greater love that a man would lay down his life for his friend. We are believers in Jesus Christ. We know where we're going. Therefore, if Caesar says, stop meeting, I tell Caesar, get out of the church. The problem is, the church has allowed Caesar into the church. Do you see that? They've allowed them to come in and then mandate or dictate what they can do inside of the church. Again, I'm from the... I'm from the great state of California. I say that because it is a great state, a great people. It is amazing as far as the landscape. There is nowhere in this country where you can go from the beach to snow in three hours. Well, we can almost do that. It's about four, five hours for us. And in between, just amazing landscape. But in that state where they have now become Caesar. And dictator, the church has said, okay, we'll just follow what you say. And now they're missing the point. They're no longer following God. They're following Caesar. Oh, give unto Caesar until he oversteps his bounds, 
and now we obey God. Amen? I got to tell you, a lot of people don't like that message right now. And they don't like it in the church. They think, are you ready for it, that we're unloving here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina because we're meeting together. How dare you guys meet together? You're going to spread that corona, that Chinese coronavirus. Listen, I think it's more loving that we are together to lift 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 each other up as the body of Christ. Can you imagine what it would be like if we were still at home for nine months? There are churches that are still doing that, even in our own state, but mainly in some areas that have dictators for governors. They don't have the authority to do that. In fact, the Michigan Supreme Court said that the Michigan governor had overreached her authority by locking down the state at all because she had no constitutional authority to do that. But she's still doing it. Is she locked up? No. But they'll lock us up faster than anything. So render, therefore, to Caesar the things that are Caesar. Okay. But when Caesar goes over the bounds into what we do as the body of Christ, then I obey God and God alone. And if that means going to jail, well, then we go to jail. If that means losing our head, <laughs> woohoo! Now, that seems weird to a lot of people. But I know where I'm going. So did William Tyndale and Jim Elliott and all of the other people that have gone before us. They knew that this world is just temporary. And yet, what are we holding on to? Now, listen, that doesn't mean that we're weird and we have Kool-Aid out on the table. It just simply means I don't fear Caesar. I don't fear the government. Now, I'm not rude about it, and I try to portray what we're doing biblically in a loving way, but I'm so tired of people saying that we're not loving one another. We are loving one another because suicide is high right now. Drugs are high. Alcoholism is high in these areas that people cannot meet because they don't have any hope, and that is by design. And you can call it democratic socialism, but it's still socialism. You can call it whatever you want, but it's to get rid of the church. And if I had time, I'd play these clips from these political leaders who want to have the great reset and get rid of the church. Why did Cuomo do what he did in New York? Because he thought he could. Until the Supreme Court says, you can't. And then he says, well, I'm not going to listen to you. Okay, well, what do you do with that? There's a constitutional crisis going on, and yet America is plugging along. All the while, Caesar is continuing to take and take and take. This isn't one of those messages where I say, rise up and arm your. I think is so perfectly telling us what we are to do as the church is when it goes above God, And what God ordains from the church, well, maybe it's time to reevaluate what we're doing. Notice with me in verse 26, what do you do when Jesus comes back at you with something like that? 
(laughs) They couldn't catch him in his words in the presence of the people, and they marveled at his answers, and they kept silent. Guys, if we would just do what God's word says, what are they going to do? When you've got a people that are willing to lay down their life for what they believe, how can they come against you? How can they fight against that? You can't. So what do you do? Well, you marvel, number one, and then you pass another law, or you try to do another mandate, or you try to do this, and you push, and you push, and then if the church doesn't push back, then it just pushes us and pushes us and pushes us back till the point that we become the church or the state church that is no different that is in China. It looks like a Christian church, but there's no resemblance of that. It's just being subservient to Caesar. They marveled at his answer, and they kept silent. In the time in which we are living in, I pray that this would embolden you and give you the passion to serve our Lord in an unapologetic way that you wouldn't be worried about Facebook banning you or Twitter banning you. By the way, new platform called uh, Parlor. Go out, we're we're going to kind of move a little bit later on into Parlor. Uh, it, it is a website or a, and a mobile platform that does not censor you. So you can share things, whatever, and we're, we're, we're going to be on that pretty soon. A lot of other guys are switching from Twitter to that because of the easeability of that and the non-censoring. But don't worry about what people think of you. You have to stand before Jesus and give an account. And I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Not, um, I was worried about the government and what my neighbor thought about me on Twitter or Facebook. And so I didn't speak up and I didn't speak the truth. It is the time to show, to show truth. Guys, uh, I'm out of time. The churches that are meeting in California that are going against the authority are packed to the hilt because people are so desperately wanting to hear truth and hope, and they're packed. We're not as packed because a lot of churches have opened up in our area. But in those areas, you can tell that people just want to be together. That's how they will fight that is by opening up, sharing Jesus. It's a wonderful time to be alive. I know you might think of it. You're like, I cannot wait until the 31st that this year will be done. I am so done with 20. Maybe that should be the shirt. I'm so done with 2020. If you see that, tell them to give me a cut of that shirt, by the way. We just want to be done with it. But it is going to continue and continue and continue. Our Lord is coming back. I don't know when, but he is coming back. And it is our time to render unto Caesar, and it's our time to render under God. Those things are God. And you were made in the image of God. He loves you, and he sent his only son for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for a message of hope and a message how to respond to critics to those who are violently opposed to the gospel of Jesus. We thank you that the Father has even sent his Son 
to be the propitiation, the payment for our sins. We thank you, Lord, for this time in which we live in. We pray that, Lord, the church would be emboldened, that it would continue to share the love of God in this world that wants to remove God completely. That, Lord, during these ho- this holiday season, with family and friends and co-workers, that we would have the good news of Jesus Christ. Share hope when it seems that there's a lot of hopeless people out there. So, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word, and we thank you for those serving. We love you, Lord, and we ask that you would return for your bride in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's stand.